Hello, this is Dr. E. Michael Jones uh, coming to you from South Bend, Indiana. Tonight, we're going to have a conversation with my, cro my colleague from Croatia, Tony Katanar, about developments in Southeast uh, Europe, including the uh, announcement by the president of Croatia that they're not going to send uh, troops to NATO's uh, incursion into the Ukraine. So we have a situation where, where this our president and our prime minister are constantly like exchanging insults and, and making a show. So, uh, <laughs> so, so the, the let's say the central left president in the last maybe I don't know one year two years has turned uh, how to how to put it uh, full populist. Uh, he's uh, he's against some some uh, COVID mandates, and he's uh, well unrecognizable <laughs> to say to say so. So he's he's uh, well, it's he's not 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 actually in in power, but but he does control the military, and if uh, Croatia is uh, let's say summoned to help to go there and help Ukraine. He has a say, of course, but I don't see it likely. OK, uh, it sounds as if it sounds as if what, what's happening in Croatia vis-a-vis -vis the European Union is the same thing that's happening here with the states vis-a-vis uh, -vis the uh, federal government, that the states are now uh, acting out. They're, they're asserting their independence they're asserting it on COVID uh, and other things on abortion, uh, and uh, the the uh, the the uh, unity of the country is now uh, starting to dissolve. Uh, the, I think that the Supreme Court here is going to have to say that we'll, we'll do it states' rights because there's no narrative now that can unify the country. The okay. the the one party has gotten so ridiculous. I'm, I'm talking about the Democratic Party, uh, so ridiculous in its ideology uh, and playing identity politics that they've alienated uh, a, a large segment of the population. And these people are never going to get together again. So the question is, is the same thing happening in the European Union, where the European, the, the more doctrinaire they get, the more they alienate, uh, let's say, Hungary, uh, Poland, and now uh, Croatia? I would say it's, it's a different story. It's it's it, it has some similarities, but uh, the way uh, the EU is founded, it's 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 very different from the United States. So first of all, here you have uh, NATO. So NATO is not basically an arm of the European Union. It's basically um, <laughs> some kind of a defense defense alliance, but is led by the US. So you take away the US, and what, what is what what remains? Basically, it's just basically NATO is it's an it's a it's an arm of the U.S. State Department actually, but right. the, the European European Union is is a totally different thing. It has a, it has a Catholic roots. Uh, actually, it's it's it is incepted and it's 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 born as some some let's say let's call it what not not a, not a clerical project. But but the project of a Catholic mind. So basically, you have a European Union even guaranteeing 
uh, to Ireland, it was decades ago, that it, it will never ask from Ireland to, to dump their, uh, their policy vis-a-vis -vis abortion. You still have in the EU, you still have Malta that, uh, that has abortion illegal. So even, uh, let's say, I think that, uh, that the parliament leader of the EU is now a Maltesian uh, uh, lady from Malta that's uh, anti-abortion. So actually it's the EU, the problem with the EU is that you have also some, this, this long march through the institutions. Right. Uh, you have you have already you have uh, it's it's basically the original idea is already infiltrated. You also have this this other this other more northern countries uh, ultra liberal ideologies pouring in, and you also have Soros investing in, right. in some let's say in some right. positions. So you have basically some some kind of internal struggle about what what Europe will will be. But NATO and Ukraine, it's a whole other story. So we don't get much, we don't get much of the pressure from the Europe because there is an internal struggle in the in the Europe it's within the Europe itself about what what will it be, uh, what direction will it take. Yeah, but on the other hand, uh, you've got uh, the European Union threatening to sanction sanction Poland because it's not going along with the homosexual agenda. So no, any uh, institution is only as good as the people who are who are uh, part of it. Uh, yeah. The one John Adams said we have no uh, constitution that functions in the absence of a moral people. So if you have morally corrupt people uh, running your institution, it doesn't matter how great it is on paper. Uh, because they'll run it uh, into the ground. This is exactly what happened in America. You've had widespread moral corruption, and as a result, you've got a political system where it's run by uh, money. That's what happens when you have moral corruption. Okay. So money, money takes over, and oh. all of the politicians are bought, and they do what they're told because they get money to do that. Yeah, just, just to maybe back up, and say why it's not likely that Croatia will, will abandon NATO. Well, one of the reasons is because, let's say, uh, the Serbs that are, let's say, our regional uh, foe or, or adversary, <laughs> let's say, uh, they have a much stronger uh, military. And uh, I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, Putin made a donation to the Serbian army. He uh, like gave them some more fairly modern jet fighters and some good tanks. So there you have one big motive to remain in NATO. So it's it's all it's all kind of connected. You also you have this real politic always kicking in. Yeah, uh, and so it the geopolitics are are pretty clear at this point. Uh, the geopolitics uh, have, Germany uh, needs energy. They've got a pipeline. They built the pipeline Nord Stream two. All they're waiting for is uh, the ability to turn it on. And that's precisely what the United States does not want them to do. And I suspect one of the main reasons of creating a crisis in uh, the Ukraine is to drive the German, put drive a wedge between the Germans and the Russians, because that has always been 
the goal of Anglo-American foreign policy was anytime the Eurasian landmass started to unite, they, uh, the English would start a war with one or the other of the parties to make sure that they were always uh, divided and at odds with each other. Yeah, I, I see it. I mean, there was a lot of German attempts uh, to, to uh, let's say, to form some kind of alliance or some kind of understanding with Russia. I think that all all the European countries are, are for some kind of cooperation with Russia. Uh, well, then why are they so? Why are they being driven into war with Russia? This whose interest is being served here? Whose interest? It's not my, uh, the American interest is not being served. It's back to the old story. It's the, the Jews in Washington working with the Jews in the Ukraine. They overturned the Ukrainian government in what was it, 2011. Victoria Nuland, another Jew, basically overthrew the government. They put Jewish puppets in charge. And now it's between these puppets uh, in the Ukraine and the Jews in Washington are driving America into war again because they don't like uh, peace. They don't like people to get along. There's always has to be some type of conflict. No, uh, talking about the, the Jewish, uh, let's say, influence, there is uh, there is this one in Croatia, there is one uh, military analytic line of thought that could be behind uh, our president's uh, threatening to to withdraw from, from Ukraine. Our, uh, our president, nothing, our president being reluctant to be involved in Ukraine. So you have this, uh, our famous, uh, like he's a famous veteran and military expert. Uh, his name is uh, Dubravko, Mr. Bozdanovic. Uh, so basically, uh, his his theory is that, uh, uh, let's say, that Israel has no problem in dealing with uh, like this small, uh, with these intifadas, small uh, armed groups with the same time kind of rebel forces, terrorists. Uh, his, they have it under control, but uh, what they don't really want in the vicinity is some uh, strong, uh, good, organized, stable uh, government, stable state, some government player. And they are very systematic about eliminating all these perceived threats. So along these lines, you also have now the Russian deployment in Syria that is also, well, Geopolitically and militarily, it's not welcome there. Uh, by the Israelis, by the Israelis. Yeah, yeah. The Syrians, the Syrians are happy. No, no. What what happened? You, you, there was a change in the leadership in Israel. Uh, while Netanyahu was there, he was like once a week in Moscow, and you know the the Israeli air force could operate under this. Under this, uh, they have some understanding with the Russians, etc. And it seems that uh, after the, the political change, they also, well, <laughs> the strategy change, I guess. There is so, no the, so the Russians and the Israelis are not collaborating in Syria or cooperating in Syria anymore. Well, it could be. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not some kind of, but but uh, the, the facts point to it because if if they are not collaborating anymore. Uh, the interest, like the, the easiest way to 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 get this this uh, Russian Russian expeditionary force out of there is to to have some some problems uh, near the Russian valley, you know, like right, this. right, uh, 
Well, they tried that in Kazakhstan. They just, they just, they just tried that in Kazakhstan. There was a, a coup in Kazakhstan, and the Russians had to send troops in there to put that down. And now they solved that. And now they're back. Now they've moved troops into Belarus, evidently. So yeah, well, yeah, Ukraine is surrounded. Uh, the point is that's that's the, like the Middle Eastern. Uh, Middle Eastern Russian geopolitical agenda, and our president calls it uh, uh, like uh, uh, American inter internal politics or something like that. So it's not not that uh, he doesn't like uh, Ukrainians or or something like that. He sees it that's not as not our business. That is, it, is this the left wing or the right wing guy, the president? Uh, he used to be left wing, but now he's full populist. He's a populist. I think he understands that. that that's what my but previous remark is. That's the way things are going now. There's a kind of movement away from the center toward the periphery, and the periphery is getting stronger now. That the, the the center is losing power. Certainly in the United States. The question is: So who's the central power in in European Union? It's Germany, isn't it? Yeah, it's supposed to be, but Germany is not not clear with itself what it is. I mean, you also have you also have change of leadership in Germany, and Germany also always wants to have some wide consensus that just shifted. What will be the result of this new? We haven't actually seen them in action. Uh, the, the new German, uh, the new German leadership. So we'll we'll see it, we'll see it now in the Ukraine and stuff. This is not in their interest. This is not in their interest to get involved in a fight with Russia. They need that gas. That's the primary geopolitical issue with Germany right now. It's they need that gas to continue their uh, keep their economy going. Well, of course, everybody needs gas, but uh, I mean, the gas is not. <laughs> who is? I still don't understand what is this trigger for this escalation of of, 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 the, of, of the situation. Who, who is what? What concretely is the what concretely triggered all this all this hype about about the war? Nord Stream two. I think it's Nord Stream two. They have to bring Germany in line. As soon as that gas line goes on, the the Germany is in, in effect independent of the United States of America. That's they have economic independence. If they don't turn it on, they're dependent on these ships, these liquefied natural gas ships. And if they're dependent on ships, they can be interdicted by the American Navy. That's the whole point of this, to keep the sea lanes uh, under control, to keep everyone, force everyone to use the sea lanes so that the United States can block them. That's exactly the opposite of what has happened in Eurasia over the past 10 years. China has a railroad now that goes from uh, Shanghai to Rotterdam. Uh, Iran has been brought into this one belt, one road initiative. Uh, Iran now, uh, because of the United States sanctions, Iran had to turn to China and China is willing to lend money. They have plenty of money in China, uh, uh, make them loans. There are people I know in Iran who are not ha happy about this, but they, let's be honest here, the Jews forced their hand. The same time we're talking about negotiations in the Ukraine, the Jews are trying to torpedo the negotiations with the Iranians over the nuclear deal. Three Jews just resigned 
or three Zionists, whatever you want to call them. It's a Jew who, who brought this attention, a, a guy from J Street. J Street is the alternative uh, to the Israel lobby, a kind of moder moderate form of the Israel lobby in the United States. And he's the one accusing the Jews. Uh, he's a Jew himself. He's accusing the Jews of destroying the uh, nuclear deal once again, once again. You got you always in the United States. It's always the tail that wags the dog. That's uh, that's the fundamental problem in the United States. And Germany is no different. Germany is worse, is worse than that in, in that regard. The Jews have absolute power in Germany, absolute power, absolute veto power over everything. And the result is deep demoralization. So I don't know whether you heard this, but uh, last week, 180 Catholic priests in Germany announced that they were homosexuals. Well, <laughs> and what did the what did the bishops do? What did the bishops do? They they practically congratulated them. They say we will not discriminate because of sexual orientation. This is a disaster, a disaster for the Catholic Church, a disaster, and it's all traceable back to what happened after World War Two after World War II uh, and the time from the, the, the end of the war up until the Vatican Council. The, the, the Germans are, first of all, the, the Jews first try to starve them to death. That's the Morgenthau plan. And then they change to social engineering, which involves the corruption of their morals, sexual morals, big battle over obscenity in Germany during this period of time. The culmination of this battle occurs in 1964, where is, where is the German Catholic Church in 1964? They're all in Rome attending the Vatican Council. And the main, the main figure, the leader of the Catholic Church, the Stepinots, the Stepinots of Germany is Cardinal Frings of Cologne. And he's in Rome. He was the one who opposed the obscenity uh, the move to undermine the uh, obscenity laws in Germany was a ferocious defender of the Legion of Decency, the Volkswagenbund. Well, he's in Rome now, and he's become the mouthpiece of Joseph Ratzinger, who is his peritus. He invited him down, and Ratzinger is now saying, "Well, we don't. We stop being so negative. We got to stop being negative now." We have to be positive. We have nothing to fear from the modern world. Let's get away from these uh, modernist oaths and the syllabus of errors. Let's be positive. It was a disaster, a disaster because because of that, the church turned against its own legion of decency and they lost the obscenity battle. And at that point, the Germans all became slaves of their passions. And you end up with 180 priests who announce that they're homosexuals. That's the tragedy of Germany. It seems as if they, they lost the culture wars. They lost the culture wars. Yeah. Well, I have some I have some interesting news about culture wars in Croatia. There What's was, that? Uh, in Croatia, in, uh, at this point, uh, news even bigger than Ukraine uh, was uh, was this uh, rap band or hip hop band. I don't know what what you, what you call it. So apparently we have uh, rap bands or hip hop bands that were introduced here, and uh, like a big number of them were like bad copies of the American ghetto culture. 
Right. Uh, but <laughs> it was it was even it was even applauded because uh, the let's say the or, the urban uh, choice was some kind of a Croatian let's say patriotic rock, and then you know the 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 rap and the hip hop was was like greeted less. Okay, this will this will uh, lead us into modernity, into more urban culture. This is this is this will be like uh, defiant voice against the regime and stuff. So basically you have this duo that's called Tram 11. And I remember them. I was uh, I was uh, studying when they started playing. And so now at 20 years after they were, let's say popular, they come out with a new album. And the new album is praised by the critics. I guess I don't listen to this kind of stuff, but so it's praised at first, uh, the sales go through the roof, and then some week after it's uh, it's out, uh, somebody looks at the lyrics. Oh, wait, <laughs> I, I, I take you a week to figure out the lyrics. You have to listen to it about 10 times before you can hear the lyrics. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so you have, you have this big, uh, you have this big, uh, like headlines, uh, cancel culture comes to Croatia. Uh, like we figured out the lyrics, it's unacceptable. It's it's pure hate speech. So basically, uh, they get banned on YouTube. Uh, the their their publisher, the the Menard, the the company that's that's actually their their record, uh, terminates the the contract and withdraws all the albums from uh, physical sale and from online uh, online shops. So what did they say to get them banned? <laughs> that's that's the funny thing. So uh, they're apparently a uh, misogynistic, homophobic, serbophobic, and uh, <laughs> so I could not I could not listen to them because obviously they were banned from YouTube. But okay, I went I went uh, I read it through the, the, the newspapers that are citing their lyrics. So basically, they have they have this big big uh, I guess track like fantasizing about. Uh, about the genitals of, of, of Croatian female celebrities and stuff, but that's not a problem. That's apparently normal in this genre. No, that's what you're supposed <laughs> to do. So what 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 is it really misgun is this is not misgun. What what is really problematic is they say like women with careers like uh, kissing their pets, their dog only dogs on leashes, no kids on the streets. So this is the big misgun. Ah. Uh, yeah. So they, they are saying this like. Uh, Deep deep state uh, smells like uh, Bolsheviks, uh, so they they called the local uh, Google fact checker that they are horse and uh, well you guess it <laughs> that that line. So it's the same. It is the same, uh, like a resurgent kind of nationalism. Yeah, it it is nationalism. It's nationalism because ah yeah, it it does have a national national charge to it because of the of the Serb. Let's say the, the critical stance toward the Serb, but uh, there's not there's not purely national national causes, but also cultural ones. Yeah, well, because, I mean, state state of the art nationalism in Europe right now is opposition to the oligarchs. It's opposition to George Soros. It's opposition to uh, immigration, uh, the destruction of their culture. That it, it doesn't have. I mean, normal. Obviously, there's a history here of anti-Serb uh, uh, animosity, but that's that's not really the threat. 
Or did they talk about Serbs at all in there? Yes, they, they do talk about Serbs in a, in a negative way. But it, OK, it, it can be explained uh, purely uh, like nationalistic, but it also has a cultural dimension because the Serbs traditionally are very influential in the Croatian media. They own a big number of uh, mainstream outlets and they also have their organizations. And so what, what happened, what is happening that the Serbs unanimously like uh, promote the the problematic side in the culture wars. Degenerate. They want to they want to corrupt the morals of the Croatian people. Is that what you're saying? That's how it's interpreted. Yeah, because every single every single Serb outlet, every single uh, organization, and every single Serbian media voice is condemning the duo, and it turns out as if all the Serbs are promoting abortion. You know, all the Serbs are from pro this gender ideology, that all the Serbs are uh, against I know, family values and traditional stuff. But I know it's not the case. I mean, lots of Serbs uh, <laughs> are like very traditional people that's, that are here on the same page, but you don't, you don't hear it in the media. You know, in the media you have this, this appearance that's, that's basically <laughs> that the Serbs are betting everything they have on the on the other side of the culture wars, and the rationale is is they are doing this because they because they know it's it's corrosive and they want to corrupt our culture and they want to you know promote this this dependency and stuff. So it kind of it kind of spins the cycle even more. So what what, what the Serb well what what, what Serbs should do is it's kind of I mean they don't have to pretend to be creation or something. But they could say at least, you know, hey, we are we have people that are on this side of your culture wars as well. I think that this is this is the right thing to do. Because yeah, are, are, are they Serbs? Are they Serbs? It sounds like Jews to me. This this is, by the way, a rap music was a creation. It was a resurrection of the Black Jewish Alliance. It was a Jew from uh, the Bronx, uh, Rick Rubin. And he linked up with a guy named uh, Simmons, I believe, and they created rap music in the 80s. Okay, so it was it was uh, Jew the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Ruben uh, apparently did couldn't play an instrument, but he had turntables and he played his music so loud when he was a student at NYU that he, he alienated everyone. He felt, but then when he got to when he got the, so the the lady who lived above him in the dorm said, "I can't study. He's playing his music too loud." She took him to the court, the local court, and uh, Ruben said, well, I'm an artist and I have to play my music loud. The other part of it was unspoken, but, uh, well, do you have Jewish privilege? Isn't that the reason that you can play your music loud? So it was anyway, it was a resurrection of the typical configuration in America, which was Jews promoting blacks who would be the front man for moral subversion. So the classic instance was jazz in the 1920s, the Harlem Renaissance. That was uh, Jews, uh, the same Jews who created um, created the uh, uh, the NAACP. Uh, uh, and their name is escaping me right now. But there was two brothers, and they created that. And they were, the woman, the wife of the one of them, was uh, promoting black poets like uh, Langston Hughes. Uh, this is what was going on. This was uh, 
basically black music was controlled by Jews. And the blacks uh, uh, didn't like it. Uh, the guy who was uh, wrote The Crisis of Negro Intellectual was a musician. He tried to get his music published, couldn't get it published because the Jews controlled it. So it was always a, a black Jewish alliance and rap was that. Rap was intentionally subversive. It was transgressive, whatever the boundary was, whatever it was at that point, they were trying to transgress it. The music itself is transgressive. It's loud, it's aggressive, it's stupid. It's a lot of thumping and hardly any melody uh, and so on and so forth. And that, and that, that it just took over music, overpowered any type of uh, other kind of music. That's yeah. what it was in the United States. I, why in the world would people adopt this in Croatia? You explain, explain that to me. Why would a Croatian do rap music? Well, it was introduced to salvage us from this patriotic rock that was, they were saying, like, uh, too retrograde. You know, we have this urban center and you, we have to do the urban music that will, that will... What kind know, of music was patriotic? For the next generation. But, but, uh, it, it's like all this, all this attempt at, at uh, cancel culture and at uh, black, <laughs> and the blacklisting and censorship like uh, blue spectacular, it backfired in the spectacular manner. Right. Uh, because first of all, <laughs> they first they let the album to be on sale for a week. Then you you see you have all this this uh, <laughs> all this machinery, this mainstream machinery going after the guys. So they 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 treat him like some two old rappers that just came like from nowhere from 20 years ago, but uh, I don't know much about rap music, but I was studying in Zagreb. And what you have there is this uh, this youth culture that that kind of have some had some identity markers. Uh, they all cheer for the same football club. You, you could call it uh, you could you could call this very large group of young people like the Bad Bull Boys. That's that's not it, it, there are football fans, but not only football fans. It's like they're the the, the main the main subculture of Zagreb, of the city of Zagreb. Right. So if so if if the Bad Bull Boys are something like the IRA, uh, these Tram Eleven, these two guys are like Sinn Fein. They are like <laughs> the the musical wing of the of the Bad Bull Boys. Like they are like their spokespersons. <laughs> so you could imagine. I, I knew it that when the when the when the YouTube blocked them, uh, it just what happened is that I don't know. Maybe eighty percent of the kids that are that are on YouTube in Zagreb, uh, all all of a sudden wanted to break break the you know like break the censorship, and there was like uh, this this guy's songs were uploaded every two minutes. Like the the company that uh, that like uh, broke their contract, this Menard stuff, they got some in in a couple of days. They got something like a thousand negative reviews. They have their uh, their uh, like their paint sprayed, and uh, it was like Menard that was uh, death art paint sprayed over it. So basically, it's. <laughs> it, it's just a spectacular. I mean, it, it almost it almost looks as if somebody intentionally uh, did this because they basically created two heroes 
and they have all this all this huge young subculture added. And I I knew it that they the, the, this the, this censorship won't, will not work. The, the two guys will immediately become heroes, and they will not apologize. And they just even they double down. Right. So we have uh, we definitely have now this let's say this cultural setting changing. So yeah, well, if they if they have a following in Zagreb, then they don't need the internet. Yeah. And and on top, well, wait a minute. No, that's that's uh, Google is not the internet. It's a one option on the internet, and if they have a local following, they could switch to uh, what we did. We switched to uh, BitChute when I when we got banned from from the uh, from Google. No, so, they, they don't need to. They don't need to because they so many kids uh, are their followers. So like Google, the the algorithm of the Google stuff cannot cope with that many kids. You know, you have uploads right. every two minutes, and it's it's like. Uh, you can just pl plug out Google. I mean, it's it's uh, because when you have this large number of, of, of followers uh, backing you up, I don't I don't think that even even YouTube can can censor like eighty percent of their of their listeners or watchers or whatever. No, they'll just uh, lose. YouTube will uh, continue to lose credibility if they keep acting this way. That was the net result. The the whole uh, there I don't know whether you know about Rolling Stone magazine, but it was basically the chronicle of rock and roll music, uh, which began in the '60s. You know that type of uh, that generation coming of age, and uh, one of their great heroes was Eric Clapton, who was an Englishman who played the guitar. He could a uh, blues guitar player who was really good at improvising, uh, and. Uh, that was it. That was like their generation. And if you go to something, if you go on YouTube, like you can find there's a concert there uh, where uh, they're celebrating Bob Dylan's 30th anniversary of uh, an album. Uh, and they're playing uh, My Back Pages, a song. Uh, and they're all there. They're all, it's like one unified generational thing. The high point probably of this kind of music was like, I think it was 1992. So they're all, you know, maybe 40, 50, 50 years old. They're, they really know what they're doing. Uh, George Harrison is there, Bob Dylan, uh, Neil Young. Uh, and now it turns out that that's falling apart. And this COVID is destroying what was this kind of form of, uh, uh, let's, it's a unity, a unity among these people that they had some type of common culture and, Obviously, it was a form of control. That's what where Rolling Stone came in. They would sell records, and then they tell you what to think. But it was COVID, basically, that broke it. So just this past uh, recently, uh, Eric Clapton got the uh, the vaccine and it paralyzed him. He couldn't he couldn't move his hands. Well, that's serious if you're a guitar player. You can't move your hands. And then he got the second one, and it got worse. And he just said, "That's it." And he's he wrote a song. He uh, teamed up with Van Morrison, and they wrote an anti-vaccine song. And yeah. Rolling Stone denounced him. It's like this is he was seven times on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. He epitomizes everything they stand for, and now they have to denounce him. So it shows you that's falling apart. At the same time, Neil Young, who is also another rock and roll god, he announced that he's taking his music off Spotify because they have Joe Rogan on there. Well, wait a minute. So now you got 
Eric Clapton and they, who were both on that stage together in 1992, both playing the same song. Now they're at odds with each other. COVID inadvertently destroyed that rock and roll culture, which was, uh, at least as Rolling Stone managed it, it was a form of control, and they broke their own form of control. Well, <laughs> okay, it's. I think that the the the, more, the 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 worst thing that this uh, vaccine and this all this COVID stuff, it's like used to. Basically, it's what you said. It's it's used to like to round up the opposition and to enforce some some technocratic government. Right, right. So we have we have I think that some uh, local local Croatian uh, opposition party recognized it and they they collected uh, like a half a million of signatures uh, to to set off a referendum. Uh, that will take the powers away from this. Uh, we have from the Croatian version of, of Fauci. Right. Yes. Back to the parliament. Everyone, every country has its own commissar, its own yeah. medical commissar, to impose oligarchic control on your culture by stealing the political power from the politicians. That's basically what it is. It was a coup d'état. Yeah. Where the yeah. where Fauci came in and he's in control of the government. Wait, how'd you take over the government? <laughs> and Biden Biden is too stupid to understand what's going. On. Trump was too stupid. Trump invited this guy on to a press conference at the White House. Don't you know he's trying to steal your political power? Didn't you realize that? You're too stupid. Yeah, Trump is too stupid. The one guy who's not stupid is Boris Johnson who woke up last week and realized what was going on. He was on his way out because he'd gone, they had had parties at 10 Downing Street where no one's wearing masks and they're all laughing at the, the proles who put on their mask and take that seriously. So he's on his way out. Instead of uh, just uh, defending a regime that's really robbing him of his political power, he said, COVID's over. Mm. It's over. I have the power. I'm the boss now. We're not listening to Neil Ferguson, whoever the other that guy was there, the the British Fauci. I'm in power. I'm saying it's over. The Ro the Romans in the Roman Empire, the, I mean in the Roman Empire, the Roman Republic, they have this institution for for this like emergency. They will put on the dictator, but uh, they were smart enough to like to limit <laughs> the dictator's rule. You know, like okay, we are having the Fauci or we are having this this technocrats. But you can only rule for like five months because they are in Croatia now, like giving orders, like what was two years. <laughs> so they are they are kind of uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, they will always find some 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 crisis or some <laughs> some reason to 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 leave them in, in in charge. You know, who was that Croatian that lectured Macron? Uh, did did you see that video? Yeah, yeah, I seen the video. You sent who me. was that? Who was that? Uh, it's a former judge, and he's like independent uh, MEP. He's a uh, independent uh, parlam European parliamentary. Uh, he's not partisan, so he's not in the in any political party. But he was a judge. He was like a media personality, and Croatians like him. So they elected him directly uh, to represent them in the European Parliament. Yeah, well, he took he took issue with the whole uh, COVID thing. Well, uh, a man who clearly understands Macron's use of COVID to crush any type of political opposition in France. The man who was on the rope because of the 
uh, the, the yellow vest protest suddenly got a new lease on life because of COVID. He could just ban demonstrations in the street, ban anyone getting in, assembling in the street and kill the yellow vest uh, uh, uprising. And now uh, he's got, he's got, it, it question is whether it's going to succeed. By the way, I just uh, got word today that uh, 50,000 truck drivers are heading toward Ottawa in oh. Canada. Who, whoever would have imagined the Canadians, the docile Canadians taking on their own government, but they've apparently the Canadians have had it. And this may bring down the Trudeau government. Uh, of course, Trudeau is calling them terrorists. These are, uh, uh, these are truck drivers uh, who basically run the distribution, the uh, distribution network in uh, Canada. If they don't drive their trucks, if they don't deliver their goods, they'll bring the whole economy to a crashing uh, collapse. So this is another sign that everyone's uh, had enough. They've had enough of COVID. It's uh, it's it's not what you said it was, okay? Uh, the fact that you were vaccinated doesn't mean that you have any any more protection from uh, these diseases or the variants or whatever you want to call them than anyone else. Yeah. So your vaccine doesn't work, uh, and and you only I think in the United States came to, I mean around fifty percent. So as soon as you start to get, say, oh, what are we going to do? You're going to have a green pass and you're going to eliminate 50% of the population from participation in the economy? Well, where's that going to go? Everybody's, going, everybody's business is going to go bankrupt and they're all going to go belly up. So I think that uh, they, I, I, they better start planning. Or they better start getting an exit strategy in mind because if Biden doesn't do it, the states are going to do it for them. It's that simple. Well, in Croatia, we do, we have we have allegedly all this. We are we are following, let's say, the the European Union's rulebook on all these initiatives like green passes, COVID. But uh, at the enforcement level, it's very reasonable. I mean, you can you can live almost normally if you are not vaccinated. It's not. It's not 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 that bad. We are uh, officially we are you know full compliance, but uh, on the ground you can you can the the, the measures are pretty reasonable. Uh, so what we got? You mentioned Canada. Uh, I read in the papers. I think it was uh, end of the last year. We have two charters flights, uh, two two airplanes full of Canadians uh, organizing paying one way ticket to Croatia. One so, way ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so the two, two airplanes full of Canadians came last year in Zagreb and they with one way ticket here. And so like the them they have also some uh, holiday homes here, the families and relatives and stuff. So connected in a way with Croatia. They're Croatians? And, are you saying are they Croatians? They were not uh, all Croatians. You have some mixed marriages, second generation Croatian and Canadians, but you also have some like you know, uh, part of them were not related to Croatia. Just for, you, we have also. Uh, I heard that uh, from a local school also that there is a, there will have to introduce uh, like when we have uh, classes, you have uh, like second A, second B. 
so they are about to introduce the second C class because we have all this, let's say, COVID immigrants. <laughs> so people that are not really connected uh, with their work to the to some physical place, and they are coming here because you know they figure out that the, that's a good that's a good mix of reasonable living and right. uh, and measures. Well, right in the United States now, the the these places that are are most uh, insistent on the lockdown are also they're they're big cities, largely in uh, New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, places like that. And all of these places are collapsing. The social order is collapsing in all of these cities, largely through the uh, black underclass. Uh, which has been basically kept on welfare for generations now. They are they were all uh, empowered during the George Floyd uh, riots that followed uh, the death of George Floyd. That was Black Lives Matter. It gave them a sense of grievance that's always been there, largely through public schools. Public school, uh, basically talks about Martin Luther King and how he stood up, Rosa Parks, the civil rights movement is basically a justification for revolution. It was the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Uh, but when it comes down to the actual student in the class, you know, uh, it turns out that it's basically what uh, Karl Marx would call the lumpen proletariat. You have this group of people that just don't follow the law. And so now, instead of rising up in revolution, they're looting stores all in those big cities. New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles all have the same problem of blacks just walking into stores and taking everything off the shelves and leaving. Shoplifting is not prosecuted anymore. The other thing these places all have in common is George Soros prosecutors. George Soros puts people in Philadelphia as a place uh, that I forgot to mention. Uh, Soros put that guy in and put a Jew in. Uh, and he won't prosecute black crime. Or they won't prosecute what they consider petty crime. As soon as you allow that to happen, the whole social fabric starts to wear out. And so at this point now, you have uh, people in New York who are afraid to get on the subway. Because there are black lunatics uh, on these platforms, psychopaths who will simply push people in front of an oncoming train. It's happened repeatedly. A woman, oftentimes Asian uh, uh, people from Chinese, Asians, Japanese, whatever, uh, because they look different, you know, and these blacks, because of this culture, this insane uh, civil rights culture that they learn about in school and we have to celebrate every year with Black History Month and all that other type of stuff. They feel that they uh, are allowed to attack uh, white people and uh, push them onto the oncoming trains. Yeah. That's 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 co closely correlates with COVID. In other words, all of those cities where we have that chaos, they're all the cities where you have to have a vax. Uh, a, a green pass, some type of, uh, and you have to wear masks and all this other type of stuff. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah. Well, that reaction has its reaction. You know? uh, I was one. Uh, I was uh, wanted to ask you something. 
I was reading uh, something about, uh, let's say, uh, the beginning of the imperial, of the American imperialism, let's say it so. Uh, let's say, uh, I could not take a, take a guess, so maybe you will correct me, but I've, my, my guess is it's the US-Mexican war. And, and actually, uh, I read just a couple of papers about, about that event. And uh, you know what I found? Uh, you said that, uh, that the word race is first time used politically by, by the, the brand guy, like in the late uh, 18, in the late uh, 1800s. Uh, actually, I just, I just came across that it was used first time in the, in the American-Mexican War. The, the, the term race was, was, let's say, first time used politically as some kind of justification, as, as some kind of politics. It was the Protestant race and the Catholic race. You know? this, was, this was, and it was, I think, the first, the first war that saw that saw these big media houses like these big media conglomerates uh, waging also like media some some kind of coordinated uh, like media support to the war and it was from from its beginning I mean Protestant and Catholic race it's, it's some some kind of pseudoscience from its inception so it can <laughs> the fruits down the line can only be can only be bad. I mean, it's it's. Uh, uh, what what do you, what are your, what are your your thoughts about it? Well, I mean, race race was always important in America because you had this large group of uh, black slaves, uh, which uh, and it was obvious they looked different. They were assigned to uh, basically second class citizens. They were slaves at, at the first, and then second class citizens after the war, and uh, that that dominated American thinking. It just dominated American thinking. Uh, but you had European immigrants coming over uh, during the latter part of the 19th century. Let's say huge uh, German-Irish immigration around the middle of the 19th century, uh, and then followed by, uh, you know, southern, southeastern European uh, immigration, the Italians, uh, the Jews from Russia, uh, Poles, all of these people who come here and are completely oblivious. I, this is what I was trying to explain to Jared Taylor. I mean, they didn't know they were white. Or Tom Soonish. When did Tom Soonish become white, by the way? You know, was he born white or was he was he baptized a Catholic and then he became white? It has no meaning whatsoever for, for Yugoslavia, where yeah. the differences are religious. It's Serbs and Croats, the only difference is that the religion. Uh, same with Muslims. That's so, right. Uh, why he would impose this or, or get involved in this is a mystery to me. I still don't understand it. Uh, it won't fly. It won't fly here. No, no, there's no chance. Uh, what? Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely right. Absolutely right. I saw it when I when I talked to 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 some Bosnian guy. I mean, he was a Herzegovina. So I I, I think I already mentioned this. Uh, so in Herzegovina. You have uh, like a Marichi clan, so it's a clan. It's basically a big family. Uh, last name is Marich. Uh, so if the guy is Croatian, it will be Josip Marich, you know, like a Catholic name. 
If it's uh, if it's a Serb, it will be Jovan or Nikola Maric, and if it's Muslim, Muslim, <laughs> it will be like I don't know, uh, oh, a Muslim name, Yasmin or something like that. So the only way <laughs> is basically all the, all these guys are are the members of the same clan, of the same family, and and yet the religious differences make them in different ethnic groups. So it's absolutely true in. in, in in Bosnia and Herzegovina, and by extension to, to all former Yugoslavia. Yeah, so you came, basically, you, these uh, groups, like the Lithuanians came to Chicago, they were in Market Park, and Martin Luther King shows up, and he is trying to explain to them how they're white and how they're discriminating against black people. Well, they didn't see it that way. Nobody in Chicago saw it that way. The black ministers told Martin Luther King to go back to Chicago because Chicago was divided up according to ethnic ethnic identity, ethnic neighborhoods. So if you were uh, a Czech and a German moved into your neighborhood, you'd probably uh, throw rocks through his windows because you didn't want anyone but Czechs living in that, that neighborhood. Had nothing to do with white, black and white, until you had this large, basically, migration, large migration coming from Mississippi because that's the train. The train went straight north from Mississippi to Chicago. And this was fostered by the United States government during World War II because they needed workers in the factories because 11 million men were in uniform over in, in Europe. So at this point, you had racial conflict and the church, the government deliberately exacerbated, used racial conflict as a way of breaking up ethnic identity uh, and in particular Catholic identity. This, I did a book on this, it's called The Slaughter of Cities, and it covers that whole story. One of the leaders of this social engineering in America was um, Louis Wirth, who was a Jew from Germany, German Jew, who was uh, then a sociologist at the University of Chicago. He hated the Catholic Church, and there was always this covert warfare going on against, uh, against the Catholic Church. Now, my, if you're asking me, uh, I think that the American empire began seriously as an empire, which is mean a global empire after World War II. And it was the social engineering that was imposed on Germany. Germany was the, the laboratory. The Germans were the guinea pigs in this experiment. And after it got imposed on them, it got imposed on America in, in, in a way that was has destroyed basically the problem. The problem, I think, for the Catholic Church is the acceptance of American social engineering. And the man who accepted it was Joseph Ratzinger. Why did he do this? I, I've, I've given this thought experiment before. Okay, remember in 1979, John Paul II becomes Pope. And the first thing he does, uh, let's say within six months of becoming Pope, is he goes to Warsaw and says Mass. I think that John, Pope John Paul II felt that his first duty was to the Polish people. And the Polish people were uh, an oppressed uh, nation because of communism, because of the Soviet Union. And he felt his first responsibility was to free them from communist domination. He was spectacularly successful in doing that. Well, same thing, what, what happened when Ratzinger became Pope? He's sure. the first German Pope, right? Doesn't he have an obligation to the German people, his people? Do you have a kind of ethnic solidarity? Well, no, you don't. 
because you're German. Because Germans are not allowed to have any type of ethnic solidarity, according to the American Empire, who conquered them after World War II. The Poles still had that sense that they had a right to have control of their nation. The Germany lost it. So what should Ratzinger have done? Why didn't he talk to me? Because I didn't know. I didn't. I have talked to him, but I didn't know this at that time anyway. Suppose Ratzinger had gone to Germany and said, go to Regensburg. Remember the speech he gave at Regensburg? And instead of talking about the Muslims, why don't you talk about the Jews? And why don't you talk about social engineering? And why don't you talk about the Holocaust? At that point in time, uh, he probably would have broken the law. Yeah. Because it was illegal to do any of the things that I just mentioned for if you're a German. But that's precisely what should have been his strategy. Ratzinger should have gone to Germany with the intention of breaking the law and getting arrested. Call their bluff. Are, is the German government going to arrest the Pope? Call their bluff. That's what he should have done. And he could have liberated the entire Catholic Church from the bondage that it's now under because it accepted American social engineering. That they used to call Ratzinger the first American Pope because he was so much on board with American uh, the American empire, American social engineering. He had internalized the commands of his oppressors. And because of that, the church has been suffering ever since Vatican II. Well, it's not just his fault. I think that the entire, that, that, that entire generation, I mean, it's, the entire generation has adopted this culture, I mean, it's the kind of thinking that... Yes, Germany's a disaster. We still already mentioned 180 Catholic priests announcing that they're homosexuals. This is a direct result of American social engineering, a direct result. And, yeah. and Ratzinger was off in Rome with uh, monopolizing Frings when Frings should have been back in Germany calling for uh, basically... Uh, uh, armed insurrection, not armed insurrection, civil disobedience. Civil disobedience of the German people burned down those movie theaters. I was there. The Germans want, wait, wait, wait. You want, what do you want? In the Iranian revolution in Germany? Yes, that's exactly, that was exactly the moment. That was, why, why do I have this fantasy? Is this completely? Ayatollah Fritz? <laughs> oh my God. Nice. This is all just speculation, okay? I'm saying the fact that it didn't happen has had horrendous consequences for Germany and for the Catholic Church, and because of that, for everyone, for every Catholic. The synodality is an example of what I'm talking about. Did you get together with your fellow Croatian buddies and talk about inclusivity? Have you done that? Are you doing the synodal way in Croatia, Catholic country? Uh, not yet, but uh, our, our parish priest uh, said that we'll have to do maybe something. <laughs> yeah, I, I have the answer, okay? The answer is suppress the Jesuits. 
the entire, entire church should get unite and say, suppress the Jesuits because they are destroying the Catholic Church. They are chaplains to the oligarchs. They get millions of dollars from George Soros. It's the most pressing issue in the Catholic Church right now. But that's not what's going to happen because of basically the German control of the idea of synodality, which goes all the way back to Ratzinger again. Again, Ratzinger created a Frankenstein monster at Vatican II, and that monster is now destroying him and destroying the Catholic Church. Tony, I got it. This been Ratzinger a created the monster. Well, uh, I don't think uh, well, you uh, are challenging. What exactly did, did they create? At, uh, what is exactly this monster? Is this the acceptance acceptance of the, let's say, of, of this American terms? Or is something in the documents in some new way? Charging? No, it's not, it's not in the documents. It doesn't matter what's in the documents because who, who controls the, the interpretation of the documents, that's clear. And if the mm -hmm. Jews control the press, the media, well, then they control the documents. Ratzinger at one point said there was a council of the media. Yeah, there was. There was. It was Time Magazine. It was the CIA. We've written about this. Okay? But he never got specific enough to do it, to draw any conclusions practical conclusions so you could lead the church away from this bondage. The bondage to the American empire, the bondage to the Jews who run the American empire, the, this leading the world into one war after another. The church should be standing up against this and all, I mean, what is Pope Francis saying? You know, don't criticize your gay children. <laughs> this is just awful. It's awful. <laughs> well, at one point, the the American Empire, I I, I, I hope it will uh, orderly, let's say, downsize. And at that point, I think that the the church will have some more breathing air, and maybe the things will miraculously come together. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but it doesn't look good. I mean, it could come crashing down if there's a war uh, uh, with Russia. Uh, 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 it's just a terrible, terrible situation. Uh, and we can't seem to, the American people, Sam, can't seem to get control over their own foreign policy. Every time they elect someone, the person has to take a pledge to the Israel lobby. This is not an exaggeration. Cynthia McKinney told the story. She was elected from Georgia, I believe. Uh, and she said, she, she said she's in her office she hasn't taken the oath of office yet. And suddenly the fax machine, this is when you had fax machines, turns out this document, it's the pledge from IPAC. You have to sign this immediately. Oh, wait a minute. She didn't know about this. Nobody told. I thought I was representing the people of Georgia. No, you've got to sign on with the big Jews at IPAC. This is, yeah. this is yeah. the, the problem with our government. We don't have representative government anymore. That, that's, I mean, even, even, in, even in the imperial interest, I think that Obama was right. I mean, in, in the interest of like the American dominance was a pivot to Asia. I mean, the semiconductors, the rare earth, the, the, the ship planes. I mean, right. this is, this is, this is the true, the true global, global play. And instead, right. and instead you are, you are like chasing ships going to Yemen and I don't know, uh, investing intelligence into Lebanon and stuff. 
I mean, and, and at the same time, you gave up, you you allowed the consolidation of the Eurasian landmass, which is the exact opposite of what you should have been doing. Thanks to the Israel lobby, they brought about the exact opposite of what they intended. And now Israel is less secure than it was before the, uh, they invaded Iraq and so on and so forth. This is what Hegel called the cunning of reason. Die List der Vernunft. God is in charge. Okay. It seems, it seems to me like a fraction within the U.S., let's say, foreign policy really wants to pivot to Asia, but the the other guys that are holding the wheel for the foreign policy still wants to pivot to the Middle East. So it's kind of your internal matter, you know, you have to think, sort of things <laughs> internally, how yeah. to say. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Tony, it's okay, been nice. oh, an hour. Good to Thank talk you. to you. Thank you for your time, and uh, we'll we'll be seeing you.